everybody, this is Kendall from the Recording Lounge Podcast. It's February 9th, 2017. Uh, today, by popular request, I'm doing a show about phase and polarity. Uh, I got a lot of requests for this through email and on the Facebook page uh, about doing a show about phase and polarity. So uh, the very first thing I wanted to mention before I start the show is go to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash recording lounge. Um, not only did I just add two huge tutorials about drum recording, um, each over 15 minutes long, um, but I also have a video on there about phase and polarity. It's the first video that I posted on our channel. If you haven't watched that, go watch that right now because it definitely will help you visualize some of this stuff better. Um, I've avoided doing a podcast about phase for a while because it's hard to talk about, but I think I finally got it worked out in my mind how I'm going to describe it. But go watch that video. I think it should help you visualize uh, some of the things that I'm talking about. And I'll probably reference it a couple times uh, when I'm talking about those specific topics. But anyway, let's get started talking about phase and polarity. Okay, so what is phase? When we say the term phase, what are we talking about? Are we talking about the phaser guitar pedal? Well, kind of, not exactly, but essentially phase refers to the timing of audio signals, and we're talking on a very small scale here. Uh, I'll give you two examples. Two speakers playing the same signal, but one is two feet from you and the other is ten feet from you. The time delay between these speakers and your ears will cause phase cancellations and comb filtering. Okay, another example. Two microphones on the same guitar speaker, but one is one inch away and the other is four inches away. The sound from the speaker arrives at the microphones at different times and in sli slightly different ways because every microphone is different. Uh, in how it responds to transients and frequency information. So that will cause phase cancellations. So phase essentially refers to the relationship between audio signals and their timing. Now, I want to make something very clear, very, very clear. And I want you to just like burn this in your mind. Phase problems will exist whenever you have two or more microphones on something. Okay, it's not a question of whether or not you can remove the phase problems because you pretty much can't. But they will exist. The question is how much you can minimize these problems. And there are lots of ways we can minimize phase problems. Um, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. The other thing that I wanted to clarify and talk about briefly is polarity versus phase. So, again, you can check out the YouTube video about this exactly, but I wanted to just go over it. Phase and polarity are not the same thing. They're often confused because they're really similar, but they're really not the same thing. So phase refers to the timing of waves like we talked about. And one thing to keep in mind is that phase is frequency dependent. This is because all waves have different wavelengths. For example, 100 hertz means that there's 100 cycles per second. But 525 hertz means there are 525 cycles per second. So the time window is still a second for both of those, right? But the waves are essentially like out of sync with each other. Okay, and depending on when those are arrive, you know, when those arrive, they'll be out of sync with each other in different ways because it depends on the frequency, um, and of course, if we're talking about like a guitar or a piano, there are thousands and thousands of frequencies present. So phase problems can exist. You know, when, when you're having phase cancellations between two microphones, it can be at 
hundreds of or thousands of different frequencies all at once. Um, polarity simply refers to the positive and negative terminals or sides of a wave. So, uh, or positive and negative points of pressure on a wave. So think of polarity like the positive and negative terminals on a speaker cabinet. So like a red wire and a black wire. Flipping the polarity is basically the equivalent of swapping those wires. So running red to black and black to red, that would be a f inverted polarity. The correct way is red wire to red terminal, black wire to black terminal, right? Um, in audio, flipping the polarity of a wave means inverting the positive and negative parts of the wave. So wherever the waveform used to go up, now it goes down and vice versa at all frequencies. Okay, it simply inverts all positive parts and all negative parts. That's all it does. It is not frequency dependent. That's one of the biggest distinctions between polarity and phase. So what about flipping the phase or 180 degree phase invert like we talk about, right? They're the little symbol with the zero with the line through it. It looks kind of like a theta symbol. Okay, this is actually a bit of a misnomer because 180 degree phase shift is actually more like a time shift rather than a polarity flip. Now, to the naked eye, if you're looking at the waveforms, it can look very, very similar um, on a waveform as a polarity flip, but it's not the same thing. Um, when you see a 180 degree flip or phase flip 180 degrees or the symbol with a line through it, you know, uh, it's actually a polarity flip, what they're talking about. Um, now, again, you can check out the YouTube video to see a visual description of this, of how phase and polarity di are different, and it will make a lot of sense. Trust me. Um, so... Why do we get so much trouble because of phase? Well, like I said, anytime you're using multiple microphones, you will run into phase problems. You just will. Whether this is two mics on an acoustic guitar, uh, 10 mics on a drum kit, two or three microphones on a, on a guitar cabinet, a bass DI and a bass uh, a cabinet with a mic on it, you know, and they're all arriving at different times and they have slightly different tonalities. So what are the tools that we can use to manipulate the phase relationships? Well, we have four primary tools that we use. So we have our phase flip button or a polarity flip button, which is, you know, the little button on our preamps or uh, in within Pro Tools or Nuendo, Cubase or Logic or whatever. The little circle with a line through it, like I said, looks kind of like a theta symbol. It's not exactly, but it's kind of like it. Um, and that is a 180 degree phase flip or, uh, you know, polarity reversal. It, again, it, it's probably going to be called different things in different programs because it's kind of a confusing term. But really, that's just a polarity reversal. We also have variable phase adjustment plugins and processors, uh, like the Little Labs um, IBP in between phase is what that stands for, I think, uh, or PhaseBug, which is a free plugin. You can adjust the phase between zero and 360 degrees. Uh, we also, the one that I like to use is called Voxingo 979, or I think it's PHA 979. 
Voxingo really could come up with some better names for the plugins, but it has variable phase adjustments between zero, uh, like negative 90 and plus 90, and then there's a 180 degree phase flip that you can do, you know, whatever that is, 270 to 360 or something. Anyway, um, it also allows you to do variable phase adjustments. Now, sometimes I use those. I don't use them a ton, but uh, in a pinch, I will definitely use them. We also have time alignment tools like the Eventide Precision Time Align plugin, which allows us to move things, shift things in time by very small amounts, microseconds, very, very small amounts. Um, you know, I think the max that it can do is plus minus 10 milliseconds, uh, which in audio, if we're talking about the speed of sound, that's 1,130 feet per second, which means roughly about one foot per millisecond. Now, if you need to actually calculate these things, there are two simple equations you can use. The first one is if you're trying to calculate the time delay. So you do that by multiplying the distance times 0.885. So let's say 200 feet times 0.885. That's 177 milliseconds of time delay. The other way is if you're trying to find a distance. So you just do that in reverse. 177 milliseconds times 1.13 equals 200.01 feet. So that's a pretty darn close uh, calculation that you can use um, for calculating distance and time delay and whatnot. So anyway, we have tools like the Eventide plugin to adjust for time delay. Now, that's used for lots of different things, but this is one of the things that we can use it for. So, for example, if you have a microphone that was placed one inch away from a guitar cabinet and then another one that was placed two inches away, you could actually calculate uh, that time delay. So how you would do that is one foot divided by 12 is 0.083 feet you multiply that times 0.885, and that gives you 0 0.07 milliseconds, 0 0.073, or 73 microseconds. All right, now, if you want to get really technical and you want to calculate it based on the samples, how you do that is, because uh, samples are based on your sample rate. Okay, so if you're at 44.1, there are 44,100 samples per second. So if you want to shift it in samples, which some plugins do it by sample delay, then all you have to do is multiply the number of milliseconds by the sample rate in thousands. So uh, if you take our old example of uh, 200 feet, 200 feet times 0.885, which gives us 177 milliseconds, times, let's say we're at 44.1, you just do times 44.1, that equals 7,805 samples, well, 805.7 samples, okay? And then the same works in reverse. So if you want to figure out how many milliseconds there are from a certain number of samples, you just take that number, so 7,805 uh, 7, divided by, so that's your number of samples divided by your sample rate, 44.1 equals 177 milliseconds. All right, enough math for now. Point being, you can use these tools uh, like the Eventide Precision Time Align to shift sounds forward and backward in time, slight, slight amounts. They can be really useful. The Eventide plugin even comes with a, a, a distance chart on the plugin, so you don't have to calculate it yourself, and it will show you, you know, if you moved it a millisecond, it shows you how much how, how much distance that is. Anyway, uh, I love that plugin. It's a really cool plugin. I, I don't get any endorsements from Eventide. They are not affiliated with the Recording Lounge podcast. 
Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, we also have some more complex plugins and processors like the SoundRadix Pi that will actually do multi-channel phase alignment, which is a really impressive plugin. I demoed it and it seems like uh, just more work than I really want to mess with, honestly. Um, some guys are all about it and I get that. Uh, I've kind of accepted the, uh, you know, accepted my fate and realized that, you know, phase problems are going to happen and I don't want to have to spend an extra like 15 minutes every single time to try to get all that stuff perfect. I'm just going to use, you know, my phase polarity flip button or if I'm desperate, the variable phase plugin of some kind. And if I'm really desperate, a time alignment tool. Anyway, um, so how do you check phase on things? What does that mean? Um, well, the three big keys that I'm going to give you for checking phase. Number one, check it in mono. Okay, don't listen in stereo, check it in mono. It's much easier to check phase coherency in mono. I know that seems counterintuitive, but trust me, it, it will make sense if you think about it. The other big tip I have is to make sure that you're level matching the things that you're comparing. Okay, that's really the only fair way to do it. So if you're comparing, say, top and bottom snare mic, make sure those are roughly the same volume when you're comparing the phase. Or if you're comparing the snare mic versus the overheads, level match the snare track to the level of the snare hits in the overheads. Okay, that's a really big key. Uh, and I'm going to do an example of that here in just a minute. And what is it that you're listening for? Well, the most obvious place, because phase is frequency dependent, um, it's going to be canceling and adding at, at, at thousands of different frequencies in different ways and different amounts. And so the most obvious way that we're going to hear it is in the low end because those wavelengths are longer. And so if they cancel, it's going to be a lot more obvious. But if, you know... 3,000 hertz is canceling, but 3,100 hertz is not. Like, we're not really going to hear a huge, like, it's not going to be suddenly like, oh my gosh, I'm missing all my 3K, you know, because we're going to hear maybe 3,050 hertz, you know, 3.05K will be boosted. You know, it, it when you get that high, the frequencies are much closer space because of just the logarithmic scale. But when you're down low, like we can very clearly hear the difference between 50 hertz and 60 hertz and 60 hertz and 80 hertz, right? That's much easier to hear than, it, and I think it's mostly because we're used to hearing notes, right? And like the note spacing down there is much closer. Whereas, you know, because it's all in octaves, right? So like 50 hertz to 100 hertz is an octave, but 1K to 2K is an octave, right? So that spacing is much different. Anyway, um, so what we're listening for is loudness, is fullness and loudness and fatness. Uh, you know, if things are canceling, they're going to reduce in level and probably reduce in fullness and fatness. They're canceling at those low frequencies. Like I said, they will still have cancellations. It's all about how much you can minimize the negative cancellations. And generally what we want to do is listen for the fullness and the fatness and just how good it sounds, honestly. So I'm going to show you two examples. I'm going to show you an obvious example using two mics on a guitar cabinet, and, and then we're going to check phase on drums. 
Okay, so this first example is of two microphones on an electric guitar. Now, I used an SM57 and a Royer 121, so I tried to align the ribbon element with, you know, where the capsule is on the SM57 um, as close as I possibly could. So in theory, the sound is hitting both of them at roughly the same time. Uh, but like I said, this is the obvious example. This is the one that you'll be able to hear immediately. Um, so here's our sound with both mics together. And this is what happens when I flip the polarity on one of the channels. Yeah, so there's a lot of cancellation going on. The sound doesn't even sound like remotely the same anymore, okay? I'm going to play that again, and I'm going to alternate between normal and polarity flipped. So you can hear how dramatic the cancellation is. Now, the reason that these cancel so much is because the microphones were the same distance from the speaker, so they were receiving the signal at nearly the exact same time. Now, they're different microphones, and they're pointed because the speaker is, you know, a cone. It's changing shape constantly, essentially. So they're pointed at slightly different parts of the speaker, um, you know, so they're receiving a slightly different signal. Uh, so it's not going to cancel perfectly. Remember... The only way for things to cancel perfectly is really if they're the same exact signal identically. I mean, you would literally have to duplicate the track and then flip the polarity on one. Okay, that's really the only way. So like I said, you're not going to cancel everything perfectly, nor are you going to sum everything perfectly. Perfectly, Certain things will cancel. Uh, and you could hear that there was still some sound left over. Just not very much. So the next thing we're going to do is check phase on drums. Now I'm not going to use my my usual setup of all 16 mics or however many I use, um, but I'm going to use 10. Okay, that's going to be kick in, kick out, snare top, snare bottom, tom, tom, stereo overheads, and stereo rooms. So let's go check that out. All right, so I'm going to show you how to check phase cohesion on drums and check all the phase relationships out. Now. I've purposely sabotaged this session, so it was actually recorded correctly, but I've actually gone and randomly flipped the phase on a handful of channels, and I'm going to check it uh, in reverse, essentially. Uh, so I'm going to pretend that it was recorded this way, and uh, then check the phase. Alright, so uh, I've got stereo overhead, stereo room, kick in, kick out, snare top, snare bottom, rack tom, floor tom. So let's take a listen to what the drums sound like, all just together. So first things first, remember I said check it in mono. So I'm going to put a plug-in on my master bus so you can hear it in mono. Now normally I just use the mono button on my monitor controller, but just so you can hear it, I'm going to put it in mono. All right, so now we're in mono. Now first things first, you have to start with a reference. Now for me that's always the kick inside mic and the snare top mic. Those are the two mics that I use as my reference. So I never flip those. 
Those are always what they are. They just stay where they are. Okay, so I'm going to start with my kick inside mic. And I'm going to bring up my kick outside mic. Remember that I want to level match these as much as possible. Notice how it didn't really get any bigger when I pulled up that second fader. This is what the outside mic sounds like by itself. And the inside mic. And together. So just by listening to those, I can probably tell that that's flipped. Check out what happens when I flip the polarity on that. All that low end comes back, right? This is before. After. So I leave the kick in where it is, but I flipped the outside mic. Like I said, I purposely sabotaged this session, so that must have been one of the ones that uh, was randomly selected to be flipped. All right, now let's go to our snare, okay? Here's our top mic. Here's our bottom mic. I'm going to play them together. Check out the bottom. This is before and after. More low in there. I'm going to flip back and forth. So here's before, after, before. After. So it's got more low end, right? Now, generally, I don't use a ton of snare bottom mic anyway, so it's not going to be as dramatic, but that's why you have to level match them. You have to level match them and check the, check the phase relationship when they're level matched. Um, now, when I turn it down, this is flipped. Now the cancellations that you're hearing are sort of in a different spot. You hear how it gets almost a quack? And this is the correct way. See how it sounds better that way? It's got more low end. It sounds more natural. All right, so now we can essentially cross the kick in, kick out, snare top, and snare bottom off our list. Now we don't flip any of these. These are now solid. Now let's check our snare to our, and I'm going to play snare top and bottom together. I'm going to play that against our overheads. So let's bring up our overheads. And again, I'm pulling up the overheads to where the snare transients match my close mic. Okay, I just flipped the stereo overheads and it got thinner. This is before, after, before, after, before. So I don't want to flip that. That one's fine. All right, now I'm going to go and check our stereo rooms. Before, after. Initially, it sounds better to me flipped, 
but I'm also going to check the kick in the in the stereo rooms. Now, I don't necessarily check the kick in the overheads because there's not a lot of kick in the overheads. Also, the overheads will often get a high-pass filter at like 100 hertz anyway, at least, sometimes higher. So I'm, I don't really worry about that relationship. But I'm going to check the kick and snare. I'm going to put both of those up. So kick in, kick out, snare top, snare bottom. I'm going to have both of these up. And I'm going to put up my stereo room. I'm flipping back and forth. So this is one of those instances where uh, it's kind of six and one half. Uh, one of them I might like the snare a little better. One of them I might like the kick a little better. But I think in general, I like both of them a little bit better uh, when it's flipped. Now, again, phase problems will exist when you have multiple microphones. You can't get rid of them magically, all right? You, you will chase your tail forever and ever trying to get this perfect sound, but that's part of the sound of using multiple microphones, and you're just going to have to deal with it. You either uh, find the best place for it and deal with it, or you mute the microphone or delete it. Um, you can use variable phase if you want, and maybe I'll try that. So let me pull up my Voxingo plugin. And I'm going to be varying the phase. Now, this will probably be really hard to hear um, because it's very, very subtle. But I'm going to see if maybe I can find a better place for this. At this point, it's kind of like, well, <laughs> I mean, I've been messing with it for a minute or two and, you know, it sounds subtly different and sometimes the snare seems a little better and sometimes the kick seems a little better. Truth of the matter is you just pick which one sounds best to you and you move on. Uh, so I'm going to call that good. If you're concerned, you can try checking it with other mics and see how that works. So maybe I'll check the stereo overheads in the stereo rooms together. Yeah, it still sounds a little bit better flipped to me. Uh, so I'm going to leave it flipped. It sounds best to me that way for whatever reason. So uh, next thing to do is check the overheads and the rooms with the rack and the floor tom. So I'm going to pull up our overheads and I'm gonna find a tom fill that I'm going to loop. Here's our rack tom. Okay, much better flipped. This is before and after. Okay, much more full, much more low end, uh, and it pokes out of the mix better. Let's check our floor tom. Flipped. Okay, I've been flipping back and forth. It's pretty subtle change. This is an instance where I might use my variable phase and see if that helps. So I'm going to vary the phase. Let me try 90. 
Not a huge change, but I think I like that. So I'm at negative 90 degrees. Okay. <laughs> Let's hear how the toms sound together with the overheads. They sound good to me. Let's check the overheads. Uh, no, excuse me. Let's check the stereo rooms and the toms. Flip both the toms. And normal. Pretty subtle change there. I might have subtly liked the toms better actually flipped. So this is an instance where you have to decide. Do I want to flip the toms? Well, no, because they sounded worse flipped against the overheads. But before, I was debating whether I liked the stereo room flipped or not. Maybe that's an instance where, you know, let me try the kick, snare, and toms against uh, the stereo room and see if I have an opinion then. Yeah, I still think I like the stereo room flipped. It's the best of all worlds for me. Um, so now I'm going to play all of our drums back in stereo again. Uh, let's start back at the top. Listen how much better this sounds. I'm going to I'm going to go back and play you the clip that was recorded first when we first started before all the face checking and then I'm going to play you this clip. So here's before And here's what they sound like now. So, as you can see, checking the phase on the drums is huge, okay? It makes a huge difference to the overall sound of the drums. And if you don't do this, you could potentially be chasing your tail like crazy, trying to get the drums to work together. And they just won't because they'll just keep pushing and canceling each other. And the harder they push, the harder they're going to cancel. All right. So, and you keep adding EQ and stuff to make it work and nothing is going to make it work other than a polarity flip or phase adjustment. All right. So, so this is obviously really important when dealing with even more than just these microphones. If you had a hi-hat mic and you had all this other stuff, you got to make sure and check the phase on everything. And yeah, it might take you 20 minutes, 30 minutes, but in theory, you only have to do it once and then everything recorded on that session, whether it's you know one song, two songs, three songs, you don't ever have to do it again. It should be identical unless, you know, you tweak something on the way in. But the reason I do this on the way in is because, you know, I try to get this as close as possible. So when I'm doing a sound check with the drummer, I have them play and I record for, you know, have them play for a minute. So they don't have to, you don't have to try to check phase and polarity while they're playing. You just record them playing for a minute and then, you know, they go get lunch or whatever and you go ahead and check phase and okay, you mark down, all right, I flipped the phase on uh, the outside kick mic and the hi-hat mic and the stereo room and whatever. And then you go change it on the preamp and then you're set. 
Okay, you're set for the rest of the session. It sounds better in their headphones. Okay, that's another important reason to do it on the way in. You're hearing it how it's going to be. It sounds better on the headphones. It sounds better to you in the control room. All right, just check it as early as possible, as quick as possible. Get the phase right, and you'll be good to go on drum sounds. All right, so as of now, you have no excuse not to check phase on your drums. I just taught you how to do it. If you didn't do it before, you were wrong, and now you're not wrong. So <laughs> so now you should always check your phase on your drums. One thing I'd like to mention before I move on to our next topic is if you've done a lot of EQ on your drums or on any multi-mic channels, you know, uh, guitar or whatever, piano, anything. If you've done a lot of EQ, you might have to check the phase again. And that's because EQ changes the wave shape of what you're doing. And it can drastically affect the frequencies that you're dealing with. So if you add a, a ton of EQ to your snare or to your room mics or whatever, you might have to check the phase again. Because again, because phase is frequency dependent, well, EQ is frequency manipulation and EQ is phase manipulation. Every time you make an EQ move, uh, you're altering the phase. And you can check out my video on that on YouTube also. Um, it's kind of embedded within the EQ cutting or boosting. Is that better or worse? Uh, and there's a video about that on the YouTube channel, so check that out. But it talks a little bit about the phase changes that happen uh, when using EQ. And most of the time, linear phase EQs are not going to be used on drums, and that's a much bigger topic I won't get into right now. Um, but you probably don't want to use linear phase EQs on drums. Uh, the simple answer is because they can cause pre-ringing but you can google that or we can talk about it on another episode uh anyway um <laughs> basically you're probably going to be altering the phase no matter what eq you use on drums so if you do a lot you might have to check the phase again um towards the end of the project so if stuff is starting to sound weird uh or kind of like it used to sound good and now i've done all this eq and now it doesn't anymore what's up you might consider checking the phase. It might be a culprit. All right, so the last topic I want to talk about is, you know, we've talked about all these phase issues and stuff. You know, are there ways that we can prevent these things from happening on the way in? Yes. Hallelujah. All right, so I'm going to give you my top five ways to minimize phase problems when you record. Okay, top five ways. Number one, Use fewer microphones. All right, this is the easiest way to minimize phase problems. If you're really concerned about phase issues, put one mic up on the guitar and just move it around until it sounds good. Boom, zero phase problems, all right? Perfect phase co cohesion. It's one mic on the guitar, right? Uh, or the guitar amp, right? If you want to deal with less of these problems, like don't use 10 mics on drums, try doing four, all right? Sometimes fewer mics actually can sound better better if you position them really well. Now, again, you're not ever going to get rid of phase problems. Even with two microphones, you're going to have them. So, you know, you can kind of just learn to love the beast and, and just deal with it. But when in doubt, if you really want the fewest phase problems possible, use fewer microphones. Number two, use the proportional placement trick. That's what I call it. And that essentially means when in doubt, if you're using two mics on something, try to get them the same distance from the important thing. So, for example, 
uh, two mics on a guitar cabinet, like we showed earlier in the example. Try to make sure that the capsules are as close as possible to each other in the exact same distance from the source. All right, but another example of this is on, say, overheads. Let's say you're using a spaced pair of overheads. Well, generally the most important part of your overheads is going to be your cymbals and your snare. And generally the snare is kind of like the most important part of the kit. So you can use measuring tape to measure the overheads to be the same distance from the center of the snare drum. This will not only ensure that the snare drum is in the center of the overhead image, but it will also ensure good phase cohesion between the mics. So yes, you'll get the cymbals over here and cymbals over here, but the snare will at least be in pretty darn good phase between those mics. The same goes when using a spaced pair on anything. So let's say you're using a spaced pair of microphones on a piano. One way to ensure that the piano will have a fairly balanced image, and this is sort of an old jazz trick, is to make sure that each mic is the same distance from middle C. Uh, so, you know, that's one way to do it. There's not really a right or wrong here, but it's uh, the proportional placement trick is what I call it again. It's just the theory of having trying to align things as close as possible in distance from each other. Number three is a similar uh, similar trick to this, and this is called the three-to-one rule. Now, this is a, a bit of a confusing trick, but you can Google this and look up more information on it. Basically, the idea is uh, for every one times the distance that a mic is away from a source, a nearby mic in a spaced pair should be at least three times the distance. So... Okay, that was a little confusing, but trust me on this. So let's say you've got a 212 guitar cabinet, so it's got two speakers. Um, let's say one microphone is three inches away from the other speaker, uh, you know, from, from speaker A. The other mic should be at least nine inches away from the first mic, you know, going side to side. So that's pretty easy to do on a guitar cabinet, um, you know, not too hard, um, but... This also works front to back. So if you've got a mic on a guitar amp at one foot, a room mic should be at least three feet away. Uh, this helps to minimize uh, minimize phase problems. Again, it's not perfect. It's called the three to one rule or the three to one trick. It's again, it's not really a rule, um, but it can help with phase cohesion. Some people also use this on overheads. So if uh, your left overhead is you know two feet away from the right crash, or excuse me, the left crash then it should be six feet away. Your right overhead should be six feet away on the other crash. Now, that's pretty far. Like, that's pretty wide. Um, so I guess in theory, maybe you should try 1.5 feet away from one crash, and then that would be four and a half feet over on the other crash. I, again, it's not a perfect trick, but it can sometimes remove phase problems. Another common place uh, for this is piano and acoustic guitar. So piano, if you've got the mics inside the piano and one is, say, 10 inches away, the other mic should be at least 30 inches away from the first mic. That can help remove phase problems or at least minimize them. Um, acoustic guitar, same way. Let's say you've got a mic on the neck and then one on the bridge and the one on the neck is 12 inches away. The other mic should be three feet away uh, from the first mic. So again, not perfect, but go ahead and try that out. It might work for you. It might help to minimize phase problems. Number four, use coincident miking techniques. Now, what that means is 
trying to place the capsules as close as possible to each other. Now, you might think this is just a repeat of the other one, but it's it's not. Um, coincident mic techniques like stereo micing techniques include XY, Blumline, and Midside. There's a couple others. There are near-coincident techniques like ORTF. Um, and you can look those up if you're not familiar with them, but essentially they're stereo techniques that align the capsules as close as possible to each other. Uh, they have fewer phase problems, they can be narrowed or widened pretty easily, and you can generally drop one of the mics and the signal's still usable. So like in a stereo mic pair, you, you can just mute one of the sides if you want it to be mono, and it still sounds pretty good. Whereas if you used a spaced pair, generally what those signals are what those mics are picking up is going to be very different and so you can't necessarily use both of them but xy can work great for acoustic guitars and sometimes for overheads sometimes for piano um the aea r88 which is the the stereo room mic that i use on drums and well on a lot of things is a stereo ribbon mic and so it's technically a Blumline microphone so the two ribbons are essentially stacked one on top of the other with their own set of magnets one's facing you know they're facing perpendicular to each other 90 degrees and uh, but they have it has great phase cohesion it also has a great strong center image that's another benefit of coincident miking techniques is that the center image is really strong and with plugins and stuff like that you can pretty you can widen things pretty easily uh, using MS plugins or stuff like you know waves s1 or dr. MS or there's a hundred plugins for widening right all right, number five, place microphones one at a time to determine the problems. So, you know, in a perfect world, every mic that you put up would sound good on its own and in the context of all the microphones in the setup. That's really hard. It's not going to be perfect, you know, but if you do this technique, when in doubt, you could always get rid of a mic because you know each one sounds good on its own. So I'll give you an example for drums. Let's say you start with like the absolute must-have mics. Let's say you have kick, snare, overheads, okay? Let's say that's like bare minimum, you gotta have that for your drum sound. After that, then maybe you add in a mono room mic. Then you check the phase, you make sure that it sounds good on its own and with the other mics. Then, once that's good, add a hi-hat mic. And then you check the phase with the snare and the overheads and make sure that sounds good. Then maybe you add a stereo pair of room mics out in the room. Okay, that one's starting to sound a little funky. Okay, maybe then move the mics. All right. So when in doubt, if something doesn't sound right, you know, just add a mic one at a time. And if, if something sounds wrong, move the mic. Find a different position for it. Because one thing we haven't talked about with all this is it's not quite as simple as, oh, I'm farther away. And so now it's uh, getting the sound at a different um, at a different time. Well, yeah, that's true. But also, when we're dealing with room acoustics, we have peaks and nulls in the response at different points in the room based on the pressure and the differences in reflections all around the room. So you might move a microphone five feet back and you're actually sitting in a 50 hertz null. And so you might not hear a phase problem with the kick drum. So this gets really complex. And again, I'm not going to go way into it, but 
uh, just suffice it to say that moving a microphone, especially a room mic, can get really tricky. And you really need to experiment with room mics because you're getting into different parts of the room that might start to have certain cancellations or, you know, uh, it might sum or cancel depending on where you are in the room. And then you combine that with your close mics and those are at a different spot in the room and those are going to have different boosts and different nulls and uh, so it can get really hairy. So it, it, it's so much more than just distance. It's tonality. It's the room. It's, I mean, it's so much. But the point being, uh, the whole idea of number five is add mics one at a time. You know, you can add them in pairs, like add your stereo room mics as one, you know, one thing. Add them one at a time and just check them as you go. And if something doesn't sound right, move it right then and try to find a good spot. Move it higher, move it lower, move it closer, move it farther away, move it up, but then angle it down, move it down and then angle it up. I mean, there's so many ways that you can try things with mic positioning. And keep in mind that, you know, one or two feet might make a big difference. Um, you know, and, and, and that's another trick that I'll tell you is, uh, sort of this idea because of the, uh, inverse square law, the way that sound works in a room and the way it emanates from a source, um, essentially the farther away you are from something, the less microphone changes are generally going to matter. And again, that's got a little asterisk by it because, depending on your room, you might be farther away from the source, but you're actually getting closer to another wall. And so that's kind of, you know, but a, a good example of this would be like, if you are right up on a guitar speaker, like an inch away, moving that microphone left to right is going to make a big difference. Even like an inch can make a big difference. Two inches can make a big difference. Three inches can make a huge difference. But if you're two feet away from that guitar amp, moving an inch is not going to make a huge difference. Um, so that's another thing to keep in mind is that, you know, when you're moving stuff like that, you know, you can be a little bit more liberal when moving room mics around, like move it two or three feet at a time at first and then make smaller adjustments. But when you're on a snare drum, moving the microphone an inch might make a difference. All right. Probably will make a difference. But when moving room mics around, you know, if it's not working, try moving it two or three feet first and just see, is that better? Is it worse? You know, maybe it got better. Maybe it didn't change a lot. Maybe try moving it then a foot and a half or a foot and just see what that sounds like. Maybe move it a couple feet up, a couple feet down. You'll find a spot if you work hard enough at it. And over time, especially if you're working in the same room over and over, you'll find positions that work well. And if you find positions that work well, Put a piece of tape on the ground and mark that spot or write it down somewhere. You know, if it's the same room and you've got the drums set up in the same spot, I mean, go ahead and mark the floor with a with a piece of tape or something or a little label of some kind to show you that, hey, this is a good spot for a room mic. You know, uh, nothing, nothing wrong with that. All right, guys. Um, I hope this podcast has been informative. I hope you've learned a thing or two or ten about phase and phase relationships phase cohesion, checking the phase, and polarity. Uh, it's a really complicated topic that is kind of simple in a way, but also extremely complicated. <laughs> um, uh, but it's super, super important to what we do, and we'll deal with it every time we put up multiple microphones. So just 
Take an extra 5, 10, 20 minutes and make sure that you've got good phase cohesion on your drums, on your piano. You know, take the time to move the microphone, okay? Because again, it's not as simply as just, it's not as simple as just time delay. Because if it was, we could just fix it all with plugins, but we can't because the tone changes as you move farther away and you're picking up different parts of the sound. You know, on a piano, for example, um, you're picking up the, the lower strings and the higher strings. I mean, those are very different sounds. So you got to deal with these phase issues and you got to consider them when you're recording. It makes you a better engineer and in the end, you'll get better sounds. And so anyway, guys, if you have questions or comments on this, make sure to send me an email, recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to check out the YouTube videos. I know this is the third or fourth time I've talked about it in this podcast, but please make sure to check out the YouTube videos at youtube.com slash recordinglounge, specifically the ones on phase and cutting versus boosting EQ. Those might help you understand these topics a little bit more. Also, I just posted two drum tutorials, recording drums. I used to have one up on the podcast, but it had it gotten a little bit outdated. So I decided to do one that was a uh, more updated uh, drum miking and drum mic positions that that I like, at least for big fat drums. And uh, also I have part two that talks about each of the mics in the control room and you listen to each of the mics and see how they work. And I talk a little bit about phase there also. Um, so go check those out on the YouTube page. Go check out for all things Recording Lounge, recordingloungepodcast.com. Uh, if you want to be a Patreon supporter or a PayPal donator, you can find all that info on the website. Uh, go to recordingloungepodcast.com and click on support RL and you can find links to the Patreon and to the PayPal. I love you guys. I appreciate you being fans of the podcast. Send me your questions, comments, get involved on the Facebook, and I'll talk to you guys next time.